Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. All you need is to be with God and to have God be with you. And so David is an example to you and me of the importance of not necessarily having all the people on our side, not necessarily having the largest group in agreement with us, but just be right with the Lord. That that's what I need most of all. When it gets thick, I need God to show up on my behalf. I need God to say, I'm with him. And if God is with me, I got nothing to worry about. I mean, I am covered as covered can be. When you're faced with a situation where you feel like you're up against the world, it can be hard to choose to do the right thing. When everyone's against you, the temptation can be to give up or to give in. The easy thing is to either run away or join the crowd and do the wrong thing. In today's message, Pastor Bill reminds you that even if the whole world is against you, when you do things God's way, He's on your side. It might look intimidating, but don't forget that God's with you when you stand for Him. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 26, as he begins his message, same temptation, different day. 1 Samuel, chapter 26, God, thank you that you've given us your word to speak to our hearts, Lord, to minister direction to us. I got to pray in the minutes and moments that we spend hearing your word. We believe it's living and powerful. God, we look for you to supernaturally meet us, speak to us. God, give direction, uh, convict, counsel, direct, redirect, Lord, encourage, exhort, renew, stir, all the things that your word will do, God, as we, as we come with our undivided attention. God, meet us in this place. We acknowledge how desperately we need from you. And so God, meet us, speak to us, have your way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. So as we are continuing through 1 Samuel, we're in chapter 26 tonight. Um, Many of you guys know David has been on the run from Saul. Um, It seems like, you know, there was a pause, right? Uh, The last thing that happened in chapter 24, David caught up with Saul in a cave, if you guys remember, and David spared Saul's life, cut off the edge of his garment, caught him while he was going potty, and uh, let him know, see, if I was trying to kill you, I would have killed you. I could have done it, but I didn't do it. And that was a temptation uh, and a test for David. Would y'all agree? Um, The man that's been chasing you down, even David's men said, they said, this was God. Surely God has delivered him into your hand, David. Today is the day, brother. Go do it, you know. And so David had this reasoning for why he would not kill Saul, though he could have. He says, I will not stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. God anointed Saul. Saul's got to be God's issue, God's problem. I'm not supposed to do it. And you guys remember, even after David cut off his garment afterwards, he was troubled. His spirit bothered him. He was bothered. He said, hmm, I shouldn't have did that. And so tonight, chapter 26 is almost going to sound like a rerun of 24. It's the same situation in a little different, little, few different little you know, things about it. The chapter 25, we looked at the death of Samuel and we had a few things happen last week, but we pick up in 26 and we're going to see almost... Not exactly, but a very similar story uh, in chapter 26 as chapter 24. I titled the, cha- the message tonight, Same Temptation, New Day. And oftentimes we're going to find that God will present us with a set of circumstances. And maybe you pass the test the first time. Maybe you succeed. 
Last time we looked at the importance of how that God, though you may be tempted, God makes a way of escape, you know, that you may be able to bear it. And so David almost messed up last week and God sent Abigail and she she was the, the way of escape for David. And so tonight we'll see a, a similar situation. New day, same temptation. I want you to be mindful of this. The reason why we get hit often with the same temptations is because the enemy knows that you, your weaknesses haven't changed. Would you guys agree? How many of y'all would agree that y'all been weak in some areas for a long time? Right. The areas where I'm weak, I've been weak in those areas. Uh, it's not a new thing that I'm weak in that area. I've known it's a weakness. And so I might get hit over here and have a victory. And then I get hit over there and I, I want to have a victory again. As I was preparing this, the Lord reminded me of, of one such thing in my life. I'll share it and then we'll jump into the chapter. Some of you guys have heard the story about a failure in my life where when I was in Bible college, I had a little Nissan Xterra. The way the Bible college would do our studies, we had these, uh, it was a disc player for MP3s. Y'all remember that? That was before the iPod was really popping. And so that was how you would, you would get your MP3s. You would listen to your studies, your Chuck studies, Chuck Smith, so forth and so on. So I went to the gas. I had just bought my new MP3 player from Costco. It was quite nice, as a matter of fact. And I went to, I went to the car wash and I had it in the back pocket of my car seat. And I thought I probably should take that out. And I was like, nah, I'll just check it when I get back in. Now, I know that I, one, of my, one of my weaknesses is if you steal my stuff, I'm probably going to kill you. So that's a weakness in me. I don't like my stuff stolen. And so anyway, the guy, I got back to my car and my, my MP3 player was gone. And I agree, in that moment, I agreed with my flesh that I was going to full flip out. And I did. And I full flipped out and I ran up on the guy I got my keys from. He told who took it. I ran up on that guy. That guy went to a van, grabbed my MP3 player. He tossed it to me and ran and left work. And then after I had messed out, I had acted a, a complete fool. And then I got my MP3 player back and I got in the car and I was like, oh man, I, I knew I had messed up bad. And so I went to the, I was accountable to a friend of mine's name. He's a pastor in Utah now, my buddy Steve Pearson. I, I called him up. I said, hey, bro, I, I got to kind of sin. I got to come confess. And I went to, we met up and I said, man, I told him what I did. And I remember he told me, you need to go back up there. I said, bro, I'm never going back up there <laughs> ever again. But I had to deal with that sin. Well, a few, it was actually a few years later, I had a similar situation happen where now I left one of my kids' iPods in the minivan. And I had somebody in the car doing some work. And when I got back in, it was gone. And then my initial, my knee-jerk response was, I'm going to go make some noise. And, uh, and the Lord just said, no, let it go. Take that L. Because the thing I had always said about the previous situation was, if I had it to do over again, I would just take the loss. Taking the loss and leaving that with the Lord would have been better than everything I had done. And so that day I took the loss, I thought. Uh, what, what happened was, I, I, this is the Lord, right? I didn't find this out for months later. I thought I took the loss. I just replaced it for my daughter. Later on, I got some work done on the minivan. And when they pulled the parts out, that MP3 player had fallen in between the cracks. So it was there. So if I had acted out, they was innocent. They hadn't even stole my stuff. So uh, the Lord has a sense of humor in that. But and I realized that, wow, that's a real that's an area I got to really be careful about. You know, my flesh wants to react in my old nature when somebody steals. I don't know why that's a thing for me. Like, 
you know, if you steal something from me, it's a problem. So, um, so I know that's a weakness. I know I got to be careful about that. Um, I got to be careful about how I respond and how I manage my emotions when things like that happen. Y'all know where y'all weak at. You know, some of y'all looking at me like, oh my gosh, y'all know where y'all weak at. So wherever you might be weak at, you know, we got to know where it is and, and how to deal with it. Because sometimes these things re- reoccur. They, keep, they come up multiple times. They come up over and over again. So David has similar situation, but a little bit different. And he had a victory last time, right? He didn't, he didn't mess up fully. He, you know, he, he was bothered by cutting off the hem of his garment. But most of us would say that was very, that was so much restraint. Well, he does even better tonight. So look at chapter 26, uh, starting at verse 1. It says, Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, is David not hiding in the hill of Hekelah opposite Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hekelah, uh, which is opposite Jeshimon by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness and he saw, uh, he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So several things here in the first four verses. Number one, it's this same group. It was the Ziphites in chapter 23 that told Saul, they always tattling on David. If I was David, I'm, I'm going to go get the Ziphites. Y'all, y'all have snitched on me one time too many. But here's what's interesting there, right? We know that Saul is in a wrong place. He's the enemy of David, who's who's really God's guy. And there's always some people informing the enemy. There's always some people. It's always people that are that are there. They've teamed up with the enemy. And so as I look at the Ziphites, I think, Lord, I don't want to be them. I don't want to be teaming up with the world. I don't want to team up with those that are going against God or going against the church or going against what God is doing that's the Ziphites. They, 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 they've told multiple times Saul where to go find David, you know, where to go get him at. And so um, that's the Ziphites. Then it says, uh, then it talks about Saul's army. Saul has 3,000 chosen men. So how many men does David have with him? He got 600 hooligans. So Saul got five times, right? Saul got 3,000 choice. These are your, your Green Beret. This is your guys with good aim, you know, with accurate shooting. He got 3,000, five times the amount of people is what Saul has with him. And they're, they're out there seeking David and his 600. There's a lesson there too, right? That even though Saul has all these men and all this skill and all this stuff, you know what Saul doesn't have? The Lord. And so it won't matter. And even though David only has 600 little ragtag fellas, the Lord is with David. And that's all that matters. Uh, it's, it's a cliche, but it's true. Some of them say it's been said that one with the one with the Lord is a majority. Amen. All you all you need is to be with God and to have God be with you. And so David is an example to you and me of the importance of not necessarily having all the people on our side, not necessarily having the largest group in agreement with us, but just be right with the Lord. That that's what I need most of all. When it gets thick, I need God to show up on my behalf. I need God to say, I'm with him. 
And if God is with me, I got nothing to worry about. I mean, I am covered as covered can be if the Lord is with me. And so though Saul has, you know, five times of men and everything else, it, it won't matter. It won't mean anything at all. And something that I was considering here is it doesn't tell us what happened to incite Saul afresh, because at their last encounter, Saul had said, oh, David, my son, you're more righteous than I and, and blah, blah, blah. And it sounded like he meant it when he said it. And somehow between then and now, he stirred up again to go after David. Now, David is going to suggest something in this chapter. David is later going to say, you know, he's going to ask him, you know, either did the Lord tell you to come after me or is somebody in your ear? Is somebody stirring you up and he's going to throw Abner out there. I, 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 as I read this chapter, I wonder if if David is like Abner is out there. Ab- Abner, the one got you stirred up against me because David kind of throws Abner under the bus. Abner Saul's his main guy. So he's going to get he'll, he'll get his later on today as well. So um, let's continue on. Um, uh, one last thing. It said. Uh, David stayed in the wilderness and Saul came after him in the wilderness and David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So it was, this is what it sounds like. David heard that Saul had come out and David was like, well, maybe he didn't come out against me, though. So David didn't automatically assume that Saul was out after him. He was like, well, he's over there. But, you know, let me let me send out some spies. Let me double check. And to me, this would indicate in, in David that. There was there was giving Saul the benefit of the doubt. Even I mean, I'm not giving Saul the benefit of the doubt. But David is like, well, wait, just maybe just maybe he's just over. Maybe he's on some other business. Just happened to be across the valley from us again. Um, let me send some folks out to confirm it. Uh, but once his guys went over there, they was like, no, nah, he, he out here for you, bro. He's back. He's back on the tear. This is he's looking for you again. And so that's an important thing. Right. As believers, we do want to give one another the benefit of the doubt. Um, we want to believe the best about people when we can. Um, you can't always do that. But when we can, I want to believe the best about you and let you prove me wrong. So if I'm wrong in believing the best about you, I'll let you prove it to me. And I think this very gracious of David to go double check, because, again, Saul has proven so many times. I'm like, you don't get no more benefit from me. Um, you you proven that you you are not you not for me at all. So moving on, verse five, it says, so David arose and came to the camp. To the place where Saul had encamped and David saw the place where Saul lay and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now, Saul lay within the camp and uh, with the people encamped all around him. And I just want you to note that I just I always felt like Saul was a big coward. Saul has got three thousand men with him and they all around. He's in the middle with three thousand men all around him so he can sleep good at night. Um, you got 3000 fellas to, to to shoulder him in so he could. That's, you know, I just look at that and I think, man, yeah, what a chump, man. What a, what a chump, what a coward. Even that, like I got the cushion of my men. You guys are they'll get you first. You know, so I'm going to just get a word to the men for just a moment. Men, men, if you go into a dark room with your lady, you go first. Amen. Men say amen. You go to a hotel, you sleep in the bed closest to the door. Say amen. All right. Something spooky happens outside. You don't send the woman. You go. Say amen. That's some man stuff right there. Saul ain't working like that. So uh, all his guys are sleeping around him. And uh, he got Abner, uh, his main guy, the commander of his army right there. And, uh, verse six. 
Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? I want you to just pause just a moment. David, that's a big ask. Uh, A-S-K, right? David is saying, I, I, do, I want to be clear, ask. That means uh, David said, look, he reaches out to, now the, the guys he asked are pretty stout men, right? He says, hey guys, I feel like, just, I feel like going down to the camp of Saul, 3,000 men in Saul, who, one guy would like to go with me, who, who would like to go? I want to just, just, just put yourself here for a minute. How many of us are saying, I want to go with you? We don't know what the mission is. We, are we, what are we going to do, David? David doesn't say. Are we going to kill Saul? He didn't say that. Are we going to have a conversation? He didn't say. David just says, I just feel like I want to go down into the camp where Saul is with 3,000 men surrounding him. Anybody want to go with me? I understand why there weren't lots of hands going up, but it does say something about the one fellow whose hand, I'll go. So it says in verse, uh, the end of verse six, and Abishai said, I'll go with you. I will go down with you. Abishai was David's nephew. And I wonder if his mother knew, you know, you go hang out with Uncle Dave, you know, she knew what kind of danger he was going to be in out there. You know, my sister used to let me keep my nephew for the summer. And uh, and she would be mommy and calling and asking, what you guys do? I said, we'll tell you when we all done, we'll tell you about it. We went we went shooting. We was on boats. We done jumped off a cliff. We rode motorbikes and everybody's OK. God bless you. You know, but we wouldn't I'd tell her, tell her afterwards, you know, for, for she could tell me no. But anyway, Abishai was with David and Abishai said, I'll go. I'll go down with you. And. I just want you to remember his name. We'll hear about him later. We'll hear more about him. But that's some kind of guy to say, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what the mission is. But if you want to go down into 3000 choice men of Israel and uh, just see what's going on, I'm down to go with you. That's a that's a spirit of adventure, at least. Uh, Maybe some faith, maybe some crazy. Uh, Either way, Abishai was willing to go down with David and really into an impossible situation, right? And so, but he's willing to go. And I, I wonder if this speaks to David's leadership. The Abishai was like, Dave, if you go going, I'll go. I'll go with you. I believe God on your behalf. Uh, I believe God, I believe if you go, it'll be okay. I wonder if that was what was going on. When I was doing high school ministry, I had a kid graduate. Um, it was a young man named Matthew Ames. And I'll never forget, he came to me and uh, he, he said, hey, for my graduation, I'm going to jump out of a plane. And his mom, obviously, as a lot of moms, she was like not feeling it. She was like, I think this is crazy. No, she didn't want to pay for it. Then he said, well, what if Pastor Bill goes with me? And she said, if, if he goes with you, you could go. So the kid comes to me and I said, bro, look, there's no way. I, just, I, take, I take calculated risk, right? At this phase of my life with a wife, I'm not jumping on no plane, homeboy. So you got to ask your mom to let you go. I'll pray for y'all before you go. And that's what they ended up doing. But I said, I, I will not be jumping out the plane strapped up to nobody. I, that's, that made the kind of risk I take, you know? So, um, uh, but, but it was funny. His mom felt like, well, if he goes, I said, it, it don't matter who go. Is you jumping out a plane, they pray that the parachute will work. So verse seven, so it says, um, so David and Abishai came to the people by night and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head and Abner and the people lay all around him. So 
I just want you to, you got to get into the scriptures, guys. David and Abishai, they have creeped into the camp of Saul. 3,000 choice men. These, are, these men are bout it, bout it when it comes to battling war. And they have creeped in and they're like, look at everybody's there. And everybody's asleep. We caught them all. They're all asleep. They're, nobody's awake. Now, just so y'all know how it goes with Israel and night watches and whatever, there was always somebody supposed to be awake. This is the king. This is not some, some, some guy. This is King Saul. So there was always somebody who was supposed to be alert. Shepherds do a better job than this for some sheep. So the, this is the king of Israel. There was somebody who was supposed to be woke and say, hey, what's that? Who's that? What's going on? Everybody was asleep. We're going to find out in a moment that God did this. Verse eight. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hands this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth. I will not have to strike a second time. Abishai said, David, hey, bro, this is God is with us. We are in here. We got him. You keep saying how you don't want to stretch out your hand against the Lord's anointing. Keep your hands to yourself. I'll do it for you, David. Just let me go. I, he said, I only got to strike him one time. It's not going to take two. One strike, be a done deal. One hit a quitter on this guy. I want you to understand the temptation this is for David, right? The temptation is, I'm sick of running from this guy. David has to be sick of running from this guy. He keeps saying he's sorry, but he's not really sorry. His repentance is fake repentance. Here we are again. There he is. He's before me. And now I don't want to stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed, but all David has to do is to do nothing. This is a bigger temptation than to do it himself. Now, all David has to do is just allow someone else. I'm going to just not stop him from doing it. I didn't do it. I didn't stretch forth my hand, so to speak. And I just want you to know this. He's getting hit with the same temptation, but a different angle. You guys understand? It's the same temptation as before. Before, the other guys like, let, we'll do it, you know. But, and David had to restrain his men. Well, here, he's got his nephew. He says, it's just us two. I mean, nobody even have to know. I mean, it's just David. We, he, we, we're here, man. Please let this let it. This be, it can be over with today. And I want you to note that this man is speaking. He said, man, the Lord, again, God delivered him. God did this. There's a few things I thought of as I read this. Um, one, there can be times when there are people in your corner and they really mean well. They really care about you and their their intentions for you are good. But their counsel to you is not ungodly counsel can come from a lot of different ways. Sometimes ungodly counsel comes from straight up ungodly people. But there are times where ungodly counsel can come from people that mean well. They're not getting the counsel that they give you from the Lord. The counsel's not coming from God. Uh, I've had church folk give me ungodly counsel. You know, that counsel just didn't come from God. It's just what they think. Uh, it's their best thought at the moment. And so Psalm 1, the psalmist said, blessed or oh, how happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Psalm 1, 1. Blessed is a man. And so we need to be mindful that sometimes people that mean well and have our best interests can tell us they're telling us what we want to hear or how we'd like it to go. Not necessarily telling us what God's word says in the moment. The best place for godly counsel to come from, godly counsel should have chapter and verse with it. Godly counsel, they should be able to say, look, brother, this is what you, look, because remember this, and here, here's that verse. Remember this story, and here's that scenario right there. You want counsel that's born out of an awareness of the word of God. 
not just somebody's best thoughts or best idea about a situation. Um, there have been times where God has called on me to do things that require faith. And I had well-meaning people in my life that were they were they were suggesting that, you know, I do everything but exercise faith. And it was like, well, you know, I understand, man, but, you know, uh, what I would do. And, and it's like, I hear you, but where are you getting that from? And I've learned over the years to be careful uh, who I even receive counsel from. I receive counsel from people with faith in God, faith in the Bible. You've been listening to A Transforming Word. As Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of 1 Samuel, this book covers some interesting history in the Jewish nation of Israel. The book starts with a prophet declaring the first king of Israel, and the book ends with the death of this same king. Why did Israel desire to have a king so badly? Was it a case of everyone else has one, so we should too? It seemed to have been a situation where the people wanted a person to rule and reign over them, rather than just trusting God to do the kingly duties. As we all know, humans have a tendency to fail and falter, and the first king of Israel was no stranger to this. King Saul started off well, but he didn't end well. Power, prestige, disobedience, and insecurity were all part of his downfall. May these messages in the book of 1 Samuel be a good reminder and a lesson that no matter what man attempts to do, without God, things will surely crumble. If you'd like to hear this message again, or listen to more messages from 1 Samuel, go to calvaryinglewood.org. If you have some questions that you'd like answered, or need someone to talk to, we're happy to speak with you and try to answer those questions. Just call or text 310-245-4811. Once more, that number is 310-245-4811. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Thank you for spending time with us today in the book of 1 Samuel, here on A Transforming Word.